0: Trans and non binary lives matter. The folks behind the scenes here at the Star Wars Book Community podcast acknowledge the harmful impact that some of J.K. Rowling's comments in recent years have had on trans and non binary communities. Some of us within the Star Wars Book fan community and here at the podcast feel able to separate the art from the artist. Some, including some behind the scenes here at the podcast, understandably do not. If that is you, we see you and we love you. As a podcast that seeks to represent the whole community, we hope that this episode of the podcast, discussing some of the similarities between the worlds of Star Wars and Harry Potter, will be received in the spirit in which it was intended, a comparison of two hugely important cultural phenomena. This episode should in no way be seen as an endorsement of JK Rowling's expressed views on trans issues, Not everyone will feel comfortable with walking this line, some behind the scenes here at the podcast do not. If you don't feel able to listen to this episode, we understand. We see you all, we love you all, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for some bookish Star Wars chat. An orphan with a powerful destiny raised in ignorance of their special status takes their first steps into a larger world, comes into their power and overcomes evil. A fan base that occasionally has a complicated relationship with creators. A cultural product that occasionally finds itself weaponized in the so-called culture wars in Western democratic societies. Are we talking about Star Wars or are we talking about Harry Potter? Well, today we're going to do both. You're listening to the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thanks for listening. I am your host for today, Johnny Maynard, and today we are continuing our occasional series of special episodes talking to authors and academics who write about Star Wars. I'm joined by two very special guests, one who we've had on the show before, one new. I'm very pleased to be talking today to Emily Strand, co-editor of and contributor to Star Wars Essays Exploring a Galaxy Far, Far Away from Vernon Press. Hi, Emily. Lovely to have you back on the show.
1: Yes. Hello, and thanks for having me. It's, It's great to be back with you.
0: It's lovely to be talking to you again emily and of course we're joined also by katie mcdaniel someone who also contributed an essay to that superb volume um that was edited by by yourself emily and amy sturgis uh, katie is a mccoy professor of history and chair of the department of history philosophy religion and gender and sexuality studies at marietta university ohio
2: Marietta College. Yes.
0: Marietta College. Thank you. I'm getting the nods. Uh, hiya, Kitty. It's good to see you.
2: Thanks for having me. Really fun to be here today.
0: Yeah. And now Kitty, you are no stranger either to today's subject matter or, or indeed to Emily. Um, so why don't you tell the folks <laughs> listening about how you two know each other, the podcast and indeed the books plural that you've collaborated on?
2: yeah so emily and i met when i was putting together a book called harry potter for nerds 2 and i was editing that with travis prinzi and she was somebody recommended to me by amy sturgis as somebody who had a great idea about quidditch in the harry potter series reading it in a really symbolic way and I love the essay. And I said, I really want to have this in the book. And that's how we met. And we just knew each other by email, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're both in Ohio. And we did end up meeting each other at various points, I guess, at Harry Potter academic conference in Philadelphia. And then also, you know, we, we started to, to meet each other. And uh, I also uh, had a podcast. And Emily would be a frequent guest on the podcast. And then Emily and I decided to have a podcast together. And so our podcast is called Potterversity, and we take an academic approach to the Harry Potter stories and films and fandom and all of that. We also then collaborated on an edited volume that we put together based on the podcast, and it's called Potterversity, Essays Exploring the World of Harry Potter. That is just out from McFarland Press, and both of us have articles in there and also put it together with some of our our favorite guests doing academic approaches and uh really really fun to collaborate in that way and then when she and amy were working on the star wars book they were sort of talking about it i had them both on the podcast we, you know we were we were we were, all, we were all talking about something and they were talking about it and i said you know i have this kind of star wars idea <laughs> and they were like send it to us
0: <laughs> that's <laughs>
2: that's how that happened so i was glad that that worked out it was really fun fun to work on something you know that was a little you know harry potter adjacent star wars amazing
0: i i don't think the potterversity book had been out emily when we last slash first spoke back in probably the back end of august early september i think correct
1: yes it was a december release right katie december yeah yeah, Fantastic. yeah, it's great, and and I will just the only thing I will add to Katie's very succinct uh, um, explanation of our working relationship and friendship is that I just love being Katie's wingman. Oh, <laughs> on so many <laughs> on so many different things, I get to be Katie's wingman, and that is just a delight to me. And uh, and she's just great to work with, and she's just a a real friend and collaborator who I can bounce just anything off of, and and she always has a, a great perspective to to offer on that. So. It's great, well, it's great to you. have her here as part yeah. of this conversation.
2: Well, I'm excited too. And you've brought me more into the world of Star Wars, Emily. <laughs> and I feel like, isn't it fun that you ha- you get these friendships in the fandom and there's something special about them. It's like a you, you get your secret language and so on. So it, it's just been yeah. very wonderful to have in my life, so.
1: Yes, source of great joy.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to meet people who are crazy in the way that you are crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's exactly it. Shared crazy, yeah, exactly.
0: definitely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I certainly love listening to you both on on Potterversity podcast. I think Emily, I said to you before, you know, I, I'm I'm probably a few years well overdue in my Potter reread. Um, but but listening to Potterversity has kind of been just this little kind of I get my little dose of Harry Potter from time to time, um, mm-hmm. I know and at some point at some point the reread will kind of creep up the the the, the TBR pile. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, yeah, we, we put out so many episodes of this podcast that it's kind of killing my reading time <laughs> at the, at the minute.
1: <laughs> yes, I know how that goes.
0: It's all I can do to keep on top of Star Wars. Never mind actually rereading other not Star Wars stuff, um, but I really need to do that at some point. Um, but Emily, so what's been going on with um, with uh, the book, the Vernon Press book, and sort of in the months since it's it's released? Because I think I spoke to you guys bef- just on the cusp of launch, really. Before, mm-hmm. so how, mm-hmm. how has that gone? Uh, and indeed, what's been going on with you and your Star Wars fandom since since we spoke?
1: Well, um, it's been going great. We have um, had a number of really wonderful conversations with podcasters such as yourself and – Uh, just a lot of fun conversations um, with people who are really deeply, you know, reading um, this, this book, you know, it's just feels so good after so long of staring at it, you know, in isolation, Mm -hmm. just Amy and me, you know, reading over these essays and thinking, I think these are really good. I think these are really good. And then getting that great feedback from people. Um, You know, I still haven't heard from Vernon press about a paperback version. I mean, that, I think that's the big, um, that's the big, uh, hurdle in terms of, you know, having a book like this is that it's the price point is is high because it's, you know, yeah. aimed at academic institutions. Um, and so we're really hoping that someday we'll have a, um, a paperback version that will be a, a bit more affordable um, for the average reader. Um, so so we're we're still we're still waiting on that. But um,
2: Emily, is yeah. there an ebook version?
1: There is an ebook version. It's the same price as oh, the okay. regular. Yeah, I know. You would think, but I'm I don't not know. I'm that. not in charge of these things. I'm not in charge. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool because yeah. my husband is a an academic librarian and he is like keeping track of like the libraries that order the books. Mm. So so we've had a few dozen libraries order order the book so far where if you if your listeners are affiliated with an academic library, that's a great way to get a hold of a copy <laughs> well, of the book. Yeah. Um, is yeah. to have your institution order it. Um so so and then you can borrow it and all your friends can yeah. borrow it. So uh, Yeah. Well yeah. That,
0: that's been something I've been recommending to folk on Instagram who have asked about you know sort of what I've been posting about or posting about episodes talking about the book. Um, you know the, and there are many folk out there who do have access to academic libraries, so that's that's probably mm-hmm. your most obvious way to get a hold of it without having to shell out the. Um, it's 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 a tricky pi- price point. It really is. It is. You it know? is. Yeah. Uh, I I I, tr- I treated myself to a hard copy because I knew I was going to keep going back to it time and time again. And oh, good. And, and, and Yay. Well, because you know I I, I did get sent the her free sort of electronic version mm-hmm. of it as a review copy, and I kind of thought I can't really in good conscience be encouraging people to. Buy this thing
1: without actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm so glad that I have it. Um, But yeah, a paperback copy would be great just to kind of Mm -hmm. bring that price point down a bit and make it a bit more accessible because the crossover appeal with this stuff is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, this Mm -hmm. is of wider interest. Yes, it's of academic interest, obviously. But, you know, there are so many people out there who would love to get their hands on a copy of this for sure.
2: Yeah. One of the things I like about having it in academic libraries too is for students, because I think students often don't realize that you can do some very high level stuff with the, the material they like to yeah. consume. And you know, that it opens their eyes. Like this isn't just a movie that I love, but, Oh, wow. Look at all these other things that are going on. And maybe I recognize some, but some are new to me. And I just think it's exciting to see students see that this, that the, that the material they love can also be dealt with in a very serious and academic way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking of the material that we love, you know, what's been going on with um, your sort of Star Wars fandom um, re- recently? Uh, Emily, what have, what have you been up to? Are you cosplaying still? What's oh, going yes.
1: on? Oh yes, oh yes, you know. So so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of exciting because, because I was so wrapped up with the books, with the production of the books, because, of course, we have a companion volume that's on Star Trek. And then, of course, Katie mm. and I were in the throes of production of our Potterversity book as well. So I had a lot of books in the air, um, flying in the air okay. the last 18 months, and I have not been able to pursue any of my costuming goals, um, or, or not many of them. So, um, so it's exciting, though. In the past couple of weeks, I have actually made progress on my Stormtrooper. So mm. I hosted a couple of what we call the five hundred first armor parties um, yeah. uh, at my house the last two Saturdays, and so uh, I had a bunch of guys over here, and we're out in the backyard. It was nice weather; it was like fifty and, mm. and sunny, and so we were out using the belt sander on all this ABS plastic. And my neighbors are like, <laughs> "What is going on over there?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like made all this chili. <laughs> I was like feeding people and sanding armor, and you know, it's it was uh, a lot of fun. So so progress is being made. It's still going to be a while uh, because. Yeah. you know, it was, it was not a trimmed kit um, that I yeah. purchased. So I have to do all the trimming myself. And, but that's why, yeah. I, you know, that's, it's good for me. Cause I'm gonna, you know, it's going to be a little different on me than it's going to be on some of my some of my 501st brothers, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I know someone who's been carrying around a box of untrimmed Stormtrooper storm bits and pieces of, to, to many armor parties, probably for the last two or three years, and they still haven't finished it. I guess they, they've had other things they're also working on as well, but those untrimmed yes. kits take, take, take a while, I think, to. They do,
1: it, and I, it was it's yeah. it was great to have those armor parties, especially, if people were working kind of on their own things too, but a lot of people yeah. were able to help me with the individual pieces. We had a guy that they're doing a uh, doing a wrecker as well from from the Bad Batch. Oh wow! So he yeah. was working on his wrecker armor, which is interesting to see the differences in the different armors because his is meant to be painted, and mine is. I'm gonna you know you keep that glossiness. You you pay yeah. extra for that glossiness because you're not gonna paint the armor. So so it's really interesting. I'm I'm learning all kinds of things, including how to use a belt sander. So
0: amazing, amazing, <laughs> fantastic. And Kitty, I mean, um, we we. we, we, we we spoke to Emily before about sort of her Star Wars journey. Um, where did your Star Wars fandom sort of how, where, when? How did that start? What was your Star Wars journey like um, as as a fan, and then actually, you know, getting to look at Star Wars through your professional lens as well?
2: Yeah, so I guess you know I. Um... I will. I will date myself. I'm. I'm 51. So I was a little young for the first, maybe two in the theater, but I'm sure I saw the Mm -hmm. third one in the theater. And I think the first two I saw, you know, via VHS tape, you know, and Mm -hmm. first playing on the TV, you know, somebody's house. And I'm like, these guys walking through the desert, right? And so robots in the desert. What's that? Uh, And you know, I just had a. I. I didn't necessarily click in right away as a as a fan when i was younger but i always liked those stories and i grew up in the time when star wars was really big when the prequels came out i was in graduate school and i did not enjoy <laughs> the first one and i was like i'm not i'm not investing myself in this by the time you know by that time like i really liked the the first 3 and i especially liked the second one um, mm-hmm. I, I just think that's such a. It's so broody. I like the. It's kind of philosophical. I, enjoy, I enjoyed the. I enjoyed the aspects of that. And then, and then the last one's so happy. Like I really enjoyed the first three. And then I was like, I don't like this whole the whole direction. And um, I I I just like I like Ewan McGregor a lot. And I just it was not still not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, to have me go with the prequels but i know emily loves the prequels so i actually my interest resurged with the with the sequel trilogy because i'm married now so you can see the phases of my life <laughs> through these but uh my husband and i have a sort of small venn diagram of things we enjoy watching in the theater <laughs> and This this probably fair mm-hmm. fair number of couples and like adventure space that kind of stuff. We're we're both for that. We like sci-fi. We like fantasy, and so when the new ones came out, we saw those together and we enjoyed them. And I really lo- I really liked the sequel trilogy. I just really got into it, mm. and um, I I just was inspired by it. I loved the heroine in Ray, and I you know was fascinated by different elements of the story. And so so I think that really kind of brought me brought me back into it. I know that's a, maybe a rare. A rare story uh, because the sequel trilogy gets a lot of criticism, but I like them. So
1: it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear somebody give the sequel some love. I mean,
0: I I, I don't think it's as rare as you might think. You know, there's a lot of awful noise online, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and, and there are also there are. You know, there, there, there's the phenomenon of the YouTube grifter who makes an awful lot of money, commercializing hot takes on why <laughs> Captain Kennedy is awful, or right. what you know, why Ray is a Mary Sue, or uh, yeah. whatever, tedium, whatever, whatever tedious nonsense it is mm-hmm. being spouted, purely for clicks, purely for commercial gain. You know, it is mm-hmm. cynical and it is awful, and it in no way represents the people who actually enjoy this stuff or like this franchise yeah yeah and c- c- certainly you know we here at the stores book community podcast you know we speak to folk who read the books you know mm-hmm. every week on the show we have guests from the from, from throughout the community other readers and the sequels are very well loved and very mm-hmm. well received i'm um, um, certainly among the folk who read the books mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um there are folk who, you know, there's maybe it's not their favorite thing, but equally, there, you know, we have folk who, for whom the prequels aren't their thing either. You mm-hmm. know, like yourself, Katie. You know, it's just not where it's at for you. Um, but I, I think you'd be surprised. Um, the sequels, I think, are, are kind of beloved by by folk who really actually do quite like Star Wars. Oh, good.
1: Yeah, and it's like you know, it's kind of the same phenomenon as I would. I would say I've I've seen this attitude about the Harry Potter films from Mm. people who are maybe very deep into Harry Potter studies um, and who see the films as a failing you know, mm. in terms of the way that the, how far they strayed from the books and their fidelity to them and everything, but it's like you really can't look at the films out in the wild and call them a failing. You know, you, <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're kinda, the wild. <laughs> some of the most yeah. popular films since Star Wars, and uh, and and yeah, I, I as much as we might pick them apart, well, why did you like the Burrow on Fire? You know, how 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 dare you? You know, and all these things, mm. they they're not. You know, you can't look at it just in in as as that sort of the person who thinks about Star Wars all the time. You, know, yeah. you, yeah. you have to remember, not everyone who loves Star Wars thinks about it all day, you know, and, and yeah. I think in this it's good. It's good to kind of take a step back and say. You know, there were some really good parts in, in this. And I have my qualms with the the sequels, but I still like Katie, I thoroughly enjoyed them. I, I yeah. was waiting on the edge of my seat for the next installment to come out. And um yeah. And so it's I but I love I love in Katie's chapter the way that she really wrestles with them critically and um mm. takes them seriously. And I think that they're they're ripe for more of that kind of academic attention.
0: I, I think so. And actually I think Maybe because we haven't lived with them for as long yet, but they, they really are ripe for that. And the more you explore them, and the more you unpack them, the richer they actually they actually are. You know, uh, because you know we have we, been talking about the other some of the other films for forty plus years now, uh, and there's maybe not that much new to learn about them. Um, you know. Save insofar as new stuff maybe recontextualizes them in a way and find you know, starts to pull new nuances out of them. But I, I think what we will find going forward is actually the sequels are so rich and there's so much still to talk about uh, and so much still to unpack. Um,
2: well, I was just going to say, if, if I can follow up on that, because I totally agree with you. And I think one of the benefits of having these series where Things get, keep getting added to them. I think with the Harry Potter, you might think about like the Fantastic Beasts series mm. that came before. That they do create um, opportunities to revisit the original material and actually to see yeah. new things in the original material and to see then how it might be worked out a little differently in, you know, what's what you know what's the latest trio of films or what what have you. And I really felt like the the sequel trilogy made me think more about the the original trilogy and I liked being able to see them in communication with each other that's one of the things I think is really beneficial to adding to these products I think a lot of people are like don't mess with it it's good just the way it is right so kind of purists but I think and I think I'm like a lot of fans I'll take all of it keep bringing yeah. me, like, give me another Andor season. You know, I'm totally oh. ready for all of that. Yeah, yes. didn't mention those. But uh, but those those uh, series on Disney Plus, like my those those are TV shows my husband and I can watch together. And so we do. And they're very yeah. enjoyable and interesting. And they're doing so many interesting things that make you think about that whole universe in a more complicated way. And they're showing you different sides of it that I think that there's 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 still room for creativity as well as analysis in there, and that's what I—that's what I like about the continuing stories.
0: Yeah, there's something fascinating there, and then maybe that's a good segue into sort of talking about some of the touch, some of the ways in which Star Wars and Harry Potter, as phenomena, are kind of similar, um, and because they're they're both franchises that I guess have started with, you know, one big creator and author as such you know, in George Lucas and JK Rowling um, but they've sort of they have grown beyond their original you know the original text as it were and as that has happened fan community responses have evolved as, as well um, in, in different ways um, do, do you guys see any sort of touchstones any points of contact there in, in terms of how those have been similar journeys or, or dissimilar you know
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, there are a lot, you know, so so in in 1977, at one point I did all the math for for a podcast um, that uh, I think Amy Sturgis and I appeared on. It was a MuggleNet Academia podcast several years ago now, um, when I first kind of started learning about Star Wars and and watching Star Wars. I was already a big Harry Potter fan, but I I kind of threw myself into Star Wars, too, with the same sort of energy and then realized all these things. Like, um, I believe in 1977, when the first film came out, J.K. Rowling herself was 11. Like, what a perfect age. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. For Star Wars, you know, yeah. and and what a magical age! And even she herself seems to recognize that eleven is in a very is a very magical age, right? Because this is the age that you get your Hogwarts letter, and um, or or not, um, as the case may be. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Petunia, but uh, you know, yeah. So so it, you kind of start there, and you realize that mm. that these. Um, are, are are quite contemporary cultural products um, in the sense that you know maybe the original movies predated Harry Potter, but they very well you know that hero's journey very well informed you know her and how that plays out in this big co- pop culture phenomenon in this big epic story. Um, you can see how that must have touched her um, but then when you're talking about Harry Potter, the books being written and even the the beginning of the films. Th- there's a real overlap with the prequel trilogy um mm, th- yeah. those works are contemporary works um and and so as you move forward then you have some interesting interplay between um Warner Brothers and uh, I believe Disney um, where you have you know some big higher ups moving between each other and and you have to you have to imagine that the Harry Potter the success of the Harry Potter movies was an inspiration and a consideration to those preparing to make the the sequel films Um, Mm -hmm. to, to capitalize on what those films touched in people that that drew you know sent them out in droves to watch those harry potter films they wanted that same audience for the sequels. Yeah. And, and so, and so they made the choices and they hired the personnel that could help them um, to do those things. Um, of course, you know, you have the bridge, the connector bridge of John Williams in his music. Mm-hmm. Um, and which he seems maybe a bit more passionate about, um, about uh, Star Wars than about Harry Potter. I don't know. I'm not sure what about the decision, you know, um, to, why he didn't end up um, scoring all of the Harry Potter films, but you know, that's, neither here nor yeah. there. But um yeah, so there's a lot of those types of connections. K- Katie, what about you?
2: Right. I guess I was sort of thinking about it in terms of the way that fans engage with these questions of creator creation. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important because JK Rowling has been very possessive of her stories and her characters. I think there was a Kind of, she didn't mind fan fiction. She basically didn't. Didn't she was she was warm warm to that. But she's been she comes out with all these backstories to, like, kind of tell you what it was, so that it sort mm-hmm. of makes the spaces where for, for fan creativity yeah, small.
0: yeah. Here's a nugget that maybe you didn't want to know, but I'm going to tell you anyway.
1: <laughs> right it's territorial it's almost like territorial yeah. marking you know, yeah. I mean, I mean
0: I guess Lucas was like that for a very long mm-hmm. time he was mm-hmm. very possessive you know you know he he had a fascinating journey from sort of independent wunderkind to sort of slightly megalomaniacal, kind of uber-controlling, you know.
1: Yeah, more in the, in yeah. the
0: prequels. Uh, which is a fascinating thing.
2: Yeah, and those are the same concerns that fans of Harry Potter have. I think there's some similarities. And, you know, in the fandom, I think, um, you know, had some J.K. Rowling worship mm-hmm. going on. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that's similar. And then when your yeah. idol reveals themselves to be no, a normal person who's flawed and, you know, yeah. maybe disagrees yeah. with you about some things. And then it's created a wave of controversy. And I know that there's a there's a lot of that. And I mean, I think as fandoms get more mature, honestly, I think they just, they develop more controversial aspects and that that's, you know, it, you know, it, it becomes a little more bittersweet, but it's still, you know, I think, yeah, normal, right? Natural, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: I mean, People, I, I, I do tire sometimes of people, I think, mischaracterizing the Star Wars fandom as sort of this weird, toxic place where the discourse is terrible and everyone hates the product and each other, because that's not my experience of being in the fan right. community.
1: Right. It wouldn't you, you be know. much of a fandom, would it, if that was really what it was like? I know. You know who, would, it, who would want to be a part of that?
0: Why would we be here?
1: The four people who like Star Wars.
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I'm sure the Harry Potter fan community is, ex- is exactly the same. Um, it, you know, I, I, like, I like to say it's not a Star Wars problem, it's a people problem. When something is this huge, when something is this big, this it, you know, it's it sort of... There are other big conversations happening in our cultures, and Star Wars is such a big thing, Harry Potter is such a big thing, that inevitably when you've got that many people in one room, you are going to have these divisions. Mm-hmm. That's not a Star Wars problem, it's not a Harry Potter problem, it's a people problem, and it's a yeah. modern... You know, throw in culture wars and everything else when people when everybody wants to weaponize something and use it to prove that they're right and other people are wrong. You know, it's not Star Wars, it's not for Harry Potter. It's just you know the, the the wonder of being in a Western democratic society at the minute. You know,
2: yes, and the things we love culturally then become a kind of shorthand for what we want to see in the world and what what our values are. And I was thinking about also as you were describing in your intro some of the connections. You know, you see all these people at demonstrations who, you know, a woman's place is in the resistance with Princess Leia, mm-hmm. and then there's all this in a world of in Voldemort's world. We need more Hermiones that kind of, that kind of thing. You know, that yeah. you see people who are who are using a lot of the the language and the symbolism of these really important cultural used the word touchstones before Hmm. that i so that i think they necessarily are going to take on some of those elements of controversy and politicization as you say it's it's the nature of our i mean capitalist as well as uh, democratic society
0: yeah yeah and i mean we've often talked here on the podcast about the ways in which star wars has always been it has been inherently political george lucas being having been a fairly Political person uh-huh. and having had some very clear ideas about what he meant or what intended Star Wars to be about, whether or not he was successful in that, <laughs> you know, um, you know, the, you know, if you look at some of his earlier drafts of the script, the allusions to Vietnam and other things, and he's on record as talking about the Emperor and Nixon and all that stuff, you know, um, so you know, there's, there's a tendency to sort of, it's easier, I think, to see Star Wars through that sort of political lens. I mean, but Harry Potter as well, right? I mean, J.K. Rowling, you know, there, there, there's 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 a particular there's a particular way of looking at the world that sort of flow that goes through the the seven novels anyway, you know, in terms of her critiques of certain things in society and the way she would rather see society work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she,
2: she directly compared, I was thinking about what you said about, you know, the Emperor Nixon, but she directly compared (laughs) the regime of the Death Eaters toward the end of the Harry Potter series with George W. Bush's presidency. Hmm. Um, That was in that Um, You know, the question and answer she did at Carnegie Hall, Uh uh, which I was delighted to be able to attend in person. And everybody was like, oh, all right. (laughs) So she just kind of (laughs) came out with a really clear political, you know, alignment there. Uh, So, you know, I think not different. Kitty,
0: when was that?
2: It was when the last book came out, 2007. 2007. And I know this because I had a baby in 2007 and I dropped my baby with my my husband (laughs) for a couple of days. Yeah. So I could. Yeah. Uh, journey with Amy Sturgis to go hear that.
0: So W was still in power. That was the tail end of W's second term. Right. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah. That, that, that is a bit of a bombshell to drop at Carnegie Hall, right?
1: Yes. Well, and that's mm-hmm. also where she said Dumbledore's is gay. Oh, is that when she
0: dropped that one too?
1: Yeah. So she was just oh. <laughs> dropping the yeah. bombs that night. She's yeah.
0: Like, I'm just going to mosey over the Atlantic and drop some bombs. Yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> shuffle off back to Scotland. She has to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe she just doesn't like traveling, right? She doesn't like traveling. She's like, they won't, they're they not going to invite me back after this, you know? Yeah,
1: maybe not. But, you know, she had to be, I think, I think, I mean, I I read, you know, about her experiencing a great sense of relief when the final book was out because then mm. there was not this secretive You know business anymore Mm. and worrying that some that some little detail she tells you is going to then unlock the ending for the people who are just Mm. looking for that you know and so and so she started opening up about the religious symbolism she started opening up you know and so it makes sense that she would open up more about political kind of inspirations as well but
0: yeah absolutely i guess lucas did a slightly similar thing at the very very tail end of his tenure he finally licensed and authorized a, a book called i think it's the history and politics of star wars i've got, I've got mm-hmm. it over my shelves there um you know, which was written by various academics with you know essays by various folk but you know all going through him he kind of is kind of the shadow editor on mm-hmm. it basically mm-hmm. kind of rubber stamping his okay this is what i meant star wars to mean you know and this thing comes out of right at the tail end before he's shuffling off and sort of selling everything off to disney you know disney would not these days in today's environment put out a book about the history and politics of star wars you know did, they would not do a similar exercise but lucas i guess coming to the end he's like well you know not that he was always, not that he was ever particularly shy about telling you what he thought but right you know, th- that, that that book to me sort of stands out as kind of as definitive a statement from him as you're going to get you know yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, on, on what it means politically
1: and i think it's just called star wars and history
0: i think, I think is, is the... that
1: it yes yeah,
0: I always muddle it in my head with Chris Kemschel's with excellent more recent book.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. That's yeah, but it's um, J- Janet, uh, Nancy Reagan, Regan? and Janet Lytle. I think are the editors the of that. But, yeah. but yes, yeah. but I and I think George Lucas even writes an introduction to it.
0: He, I think he did. Yeah. Um,
1: which is which is really neat. Yeah, that one must have been. Mm. A uh, fun, a fun book to work on. <laughs>
0: like, oh, oh George Lucas is just going to be reading my <laughs> essay here. Make sure I get this yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it comes comes back with all the red pens, right? <laughs> <laughs> right <now. laughs> I think we've established that there are a number of ways in which sort of the Harry Potter stories and indeed the phenomena around Harry Potter kind of lines up. There's a Venn diagram there Mm -hmm. um, with with the Star Wars experience as well. Uh, But Kitty, I I did want to talk to you today about the essay that you contributed to the book that Emily and Amy Sturgis edited, Star Wars essays exploring a galaxy far, far away. Uh, Your essay is called The Map in the Mirror, Reflections of Time, Self and Salvation in Star Wars and Harry Potter. Now, I understand actually from something Emily said in passing when when we last spoke to Emily on the show that you've written about mirrors as maps before. This isn't a new idea to you, is that right? Well,
2: what I really like are maps we were talking about that earlier so i like maps and i didn't realize that that was going to be a through line in my scholarship (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i didn't even notice it i was like and until fairly recently i was like you know everything i do has something to do with space and (laughs) maps and and i'm actually very poor map reader i'm i'm not i'm not visually astute that way and Mm -hmm. but what i like are imaginative maps you know Mm -hmm. i'm interested in this idea that you're mapping something in two dimensions and what does that mean? And what you know what goes into trying to reduce, not reduce, but trying to communicate something yeah. that is multidimensional in these two dimensions? And how do you do that? And so I've been reading a lot on maps, and I was look, I, I re- was reading about maps, and they were talked about the Hereford uh, map of Mundi, which is this really old medieval map, and they were this this author was talking about how the spot on the map. That has the most it's been hanging up in a church uh in hereford and i guess the spot on the map that shows the most where is hereford and people mm. want, always want to put their finger on, on hereford and i was like it's a mirror right it's like i'm looking i'm there this is me mm-hmm. and it's showing you in space and so i that's the beginning point of me thinking about maps and mirrors together and how maps are operating kind of like mirrors in their the way that they collapse space and time into two dimensional Mm -hmm. plane, the way that they show you something about yourself and also in relation to the external world. So internal and external, their metaphorical power and their storytelling power. And mirrors have this kind of interesting magical history themselves as, you know, enchanted objects. But then think about Mm -hmm. how maps are also often seen to have this kind of symbolic language through which they reveal hidden things. Uh, that mm-hmm. you could perhaps find if you can decode the map, and I think this idea of maps and mirrors operating in a, a sort of similar way symbolically uh, and something that you can decode I think is really interesting. And so, um, so I I was inspired by that. But I tell you the the Star Wars angle to that was her, I just was a little baffled by the moment in the sequel trilogy where Ray is in the you know the dark side cave or mm-hmm. whatever that is on Octu, yeah. and she has this little mirror moment. And it's it's perplexing. It's not, it's not obvious what that means. And even when I was in the theater, I was like, what the, what, what was that? I, what was mm-hmm. that? And I couldn't figure it out. And that's my favorite thing. That's what drives all my academic scholarship is me just like three question marks.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that was a that was a common experience for many. I think at various yeah. points during the, during the Last Jedi, in particular, I I love the, the sequel trilogy, and I love each of the three movies. Um, but the Last Jedi was the one where I came out of the cinema after first viewing just a little perplexed, like, I, mm, I don't know. And I needed to go back and revisit it and kind of sit with it a bit longer, um, and things like that same. But there's so, it's such a dense movie that, that there are things in there that it doesn't go out of its way to explain itself to you no. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right,
2: and it was obviously symbolic. It was obviously trying to communicate a lot of things that were rich and deep, and you have that interesting little triangulation of Luke and Kylo Ren and Ray that is happening in that setting but also like i look at the i look at that mirror scene and i immediately think of the mirror of erised because i'm a Mm -hmm. harry potter person (laughs) and i thought like they have to know that most people have read at least the first book of harry potter or have some or seen the movie they know people know the mirror of erised right
0: just just in case we've got anybody listening because it's a star wars podcast and, and right. they, somehow somehow they've missed <laughs> harry potter
2: right and,
0: and 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 haven't read even the first book or seen the first movie Could you just explain for a second what, what the mirror of erised is
2: yes yeah, so in his first year harry is he gets the invisibility cloak and he for uses it. For Christmas and right that's mm-hmm. important because Emily has written a, a chapter about the importance of Christmas in the Harry Potter series and that oh amazing prominently the gifts that he gets that are really important so he gets this gift of the invisibility cloak and of course he does what and what anyone would do which is he uses it to sneak around and as he's sneaking around he is he's in the restricted section trying to look for Nicholas Flamel right who's the who has the the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone eternal life and all that but he gets kind of caught he has to he can see he's run off by Snape and he ends up in this unused classroom and he sees this mirror and when he looks in the mirror he sees his family and he looks you know around they're obviously not there in the room with him but he can see his and it's not just his parents like the movie shows but it's like He sees like there's an old guy back there it's this whole crowd of people who represent his family that he's obviously been totally dislocated from as an orphan and you know the dursleys they just don't they don't feel like family to him obviously so you know then you have ray and ray is like looking in the mirror and she says let me see my parents (laughs) so it's like ray (laughs) ray thinks it's the mirror of (laughs) verse like she wants that she wants to see that that Mm. that crowd of people in her past and harry really has to understand how to use this magical object the mirror of era and it becomes really important at the end of the book because it's how he gets this he's how he gets the sorcerer's stone or the philosopher's stone because he understands how the mirror works and that he can't be drawn in by his desires it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live remember that is what Dumbledore says about it like you just can't be distracted by this fantasy you've got to be focused on the present and then when he encounters it again when he's under threat from Voldemort and Professor Quirrell he is able to actually use the mirror to get the stone and he's able to kind of sort through ambition and greed and you know the quest for eternal life to get the thing he needs to survive and so Um, So it's actually hugely important that he figure out the mirror to decode it. And I think that's similar with Ray, she has to decode it and it doesn't show her parents. In fact, it's (laughs) super frustrating. You know, it just, you have this convergence of shadows and then it's just her, you know, and what is that, what's she supposed to take from that? And she says, as she's describing it to this person, we don't know who they are yet. You know, she says, I never felt so alone and then, of course, we realize she's talking to Kylo Ren. <laughs> like, she's not telling Luke; it's not her confessor, mm-hmm. mentor. But she's talking to the bad guy, and revealing this—you know, this intimate experience—to him. And you know, she's she's trying to figure out. She says, "I want to know my place in this." And he says, "You know, your parents—you know—dropped you off like garbage, and they're nobody, and you shouldn't even be paying attention to them." But that's not the right message. She has to figure out. What the what the real message is from that? It's very interesting, and um, mm-hmm. I, some people have given it Buddhist readings because of all of the, you know, she's got that chain of mm-hmm. rays that you see because it's mirror within mirror within mirror, and she snaps her finger and it goes all the way around and comes back and like what what does that what does that mean? And the whole idea that you have the ability to make small actions and that they come they come back around again, you know, mm-hmm. and karmically, but also that you you know, you can make a small action, right? And that the small actions that you make yeah. do ripple around. And that's really important for her to realize. It's a way of seeing her own empowerment, her self-efficacy, but also staying grounded in the present. Also very Buddhist kind of idea. But also that's that's the message of the mirror of said too. Don't be distracted by these other things. It doesn't really matter who your parents are. It takes her a while
1: to get get
2: beyond that and maybe yeah. it does kind of matter right
1: well <laughs> right and I you think she's got to be herself the mirror doesn't change it's magic doesn't change it still shows you what what your heart's desire is but but you know for Harry he has to he has to figure out what that is and is he is his uh-huh. heart's desire to 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 be caught up in this mirage of community you know that is you know grief right? Grief for these loved oh. people that people that loved him that he loved that, that, you know, he has lost, or is his desire to protect the world from Voldemort and protect the people who are living now, um, his mm. friends, his his new magical community, and that becomes his desire. You know, Christmas, his desire is for those for, for that mirage. But by the end of the book, his desire is for, you know, helping his friends stay alive and and celebrate life rather than death.
0: Yeah. Harry at the towards the end of the final book um has a moment, I guess, courtesy of the resurrection stone, not the mirror, but mm-hmm. you know, is able to sort of call back these images of the people who um have who he's lost along yeah. the way, his parents, Lupin, Sirius, um almost sort of to give him strength, I guess, yes. as, as he's about yes. to face Voldemort, and sort of sacrifice himself. And um Rey in that moment at the end of The Rise of Skywalker also has a you know this moment where she is it's strengthened and encouraged by the voices of all these Jedi who have gone before um including you know some some very very um geeky deep cuts for fans mm-hmm. of uh, the animated shows and that sort of thing you know Yay! Um, yeah.
2: Right. But- and I, I did a comparison of those two moments, because I do think that's ultimately where it's all going. You know, who, what is your lineage? You know, yeah. who, who, who are your people? And yeah. for Harry, it's the Resurrection Stone. And it's very similar the way he talks about, like, they were with him and they were making it possible for him to march to this self-sacrifice, making himself vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. Ray does the same thing, like, stay close to me. She's, you know, she's calling upon, and it's the people who have come before her and made a similar sacrifice who are then with you, this kind of hall of lost heroes who then provide you strength when it comes time for you to, you know, play your role in the next sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar, very Mm -hmm. similar. And even if you sort of look at how it's represented in the films, there's a real similarity to like the, the way that's represented. I think it's all auditory for Ray and we get the, like the specters for, uh, for Harry, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's very similar. Like we're just walking with you and giving you encouragement. I think it's so powerful. I really love
1: that. I do too. And, and Harry and Ray are both standing there at the edge of life and death. Mm-hmm. And really, death is more real to them now. It even says in Harry Potter, right. he, he says the people around him, the, the, the shades of his loved ones around him were much more real than the people up at the castle, you know, were yeah. to him now. And, and so they, they have come to ease his transition from life yeah. to death. Because because he's earned it, you know, in, in being yeah. able to give this himself and this in and this sacrifice. and I think I think for Ray, it's a similar it's a similar dynamic, you know where where she realizes that she is she is part of this community and she always has been, and it's a community that transcends death.
2: But she mm. couldn't really
1: she could not call
2: upon them really, right? She struggles with that earlier. right She couldn't call upon them until the moment where she was putting herself out there. And it's the same with Harry. I open at the close, right? That's how, he he can't get to it. He can't get to these people until he is in that moment where he is really able to make that sacrifice. And he has to do it knowing who he is, knowing what he mm-hmm. is there for. It's really a kind of, it's a reenactment of what happens in book one at the Mirror of Erised. He has to be yeah. able, he has to be willing to, to do that. But he does then find, as Ray does, Oh, i am in a right i am in a community uh there mm. um one of the things i think is kind of interesting is that there there is a difference in how those two moments play out ultimately and when you look at what what the harry potter series does you know uh, he leaves himself vulnerable and voldemort says expelliarmus right and uh, and ultimately it looks like harry's dead and he goes to king's cross and but it's really Voldemort has killed the little piece of Voldemort that's in him because right, light and dark are existing within them just this is mm-hmm. Harry and Ray both have both they have to contend with light and dark, There nobody's pure there. And so, you know, then but then the Voldemort piece is excised, right, that piece is is killed. And Harry's able to then be resurrected and to come in and, you know, kind of continue saving the day. But With Rey's story, it happens really differently, right? She's got the Hall of Heroes and she makes the sacrifice um, and she dies. But this man that she has actually redeemed and restored to his humanity, Ben Solo, he has actually had his own little King's Cross moment with Han Solo, with his dad, where his dad reminds him like, you're my son, right? Kylo Ren is, is not alive anymore, but my son is alive. And so Ben Solo is able then to like c- climb out of the hole, mm-hmm. like literally he's climbing up from you know from from the pit in order to like restore life to Ray and mm-hmm. and contribute also to the destruction of evil. And I I really love that as a redemption story. And people are I think people don't always love the kiss. <laughs> Right, people get a little <laughs> skeevy about the kiss there. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's a. I think it is about the unity of these two, who have also been mirrors of each other—the light mirror of the dark, but two two sides of really similar, uh, you know, kind of struggles that they have, and it's representing the union of those two, and also like the that he is willing to sacrifice himself for her to live again. And I just think that's a really interesting, different, uh, you know, different way that the story proceeds uh, from mm. Harry Potter. And I think it has a little more subtlety to it um, that I quite like.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know where I am on the kiss, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think I sort of I can't not look at it as sort of a product of the creators trying to figure out a way of making everybody happy. You know what I mean? Ha- ha- the having shippers. your cake and eating it. Right. Yeah. You want, you want to keep the <laughs> Raylos happy, but also you got to kill the guy, um, mm. you know, and, and I'm not yeah. sure, I'm not sure they succeeded in really pleasing that many people at the end of yeah. the day with it. Yeah, yeah. You know. I
1: know. I, and I, I have noticed, I mean, you know, killing your own father. I mean, that's, that's like, yeah, I think it's hard. I, I heard JJ Abrams say hmm. he, he, you know, he wanted, he wanted this unforgivable act, you know, to be to be yeah. committed by Kylo Ren. But like what?
2: I mean, he starts in those films killing a whole bunch of innocent people. I mean, he's right. really, uh, like, he's really he's bad. Right. It's not just somebody playing around with being bad. He's really done some very evil things, and there is a penalty for that. In you know, in these moral universes that are created in fantasy yeah. realms.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the kiss
2: is a kind of it is a. There is something i don't think it's romantic like that's not really how i read it mm. i think it is a um i think it's connection and forgiveness and it's uh re- it's a recognition of the redemption mm-hmm. um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but that's that's sort of how how i see how i see it you know and, and people can have their their own opinions there but <laughs> no
1: i think i think i can i can firmly come down on pro kiss side uh if with this more symbolic reading of it, yeah. <laughs> like it makes more yeah. so helpful in so many circumstances. Quidditch, you know, Ray and Kylo Ren kissing. It's so much more helpful to just read it symbolically yeah. and then step away uh-huh, from the yeah. scene.
0: <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, Emily. Have you given any more thought to that uh, Harry Potter, Ezra Bridger piece that you mentioned the last time that we spoke?
1: This is how my, my brain works. I'm always thinking about that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's another one of those things that's just sort of bubbling away that you haven't had a chance to really stir up into something yet.
1: Yes, it's definitely mm. that. Um, but I know I, I thought more about it because, of course, since we've spoken, there's been Ahsoka. And, and you know like yeah. we can really talk about it now since the strikes are over which is great um and so we got live action ezra bridger in ahsoka
0: yeah and he
1: was finally. so probably one of the most satisfying parts of that show i think um his portrayal really of ezra yeah which was just yeah, so yeah. spot on and
0: it's perfect wasn't it
1: it really was just from the look for everything his mannerisms everything everything but you know and but I I keep thinking more because the more I think about it, the more connections, you know, like in the way that um, the live action Ezra, you know, sort of passes on a weapon, you know, when when they first encounter the the stormtroopers uh, that set upon them with the nauties. Um, he's oh no 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 I don't need a weapon my, the force is my ally I don't need that blaster you know and and how very Harry Potter that is you know Harry strategically lays aside. His his weapons at various um, parts mm-hmm. of the saga, especially in book seven, when he buries Dobby by hand, and also when he stows his wand and his cloak and faces Voldemort yeah. alone, and uh, so so it's kind of interesting. And that, but then he does, of course, Ezra does make himself a weapon, um, and it's it's kind of in the spirit of his master, you know, Kanan, which of course I just melted into a puddle on the floor mm-hmm. because I'm a huge Canon fan, and. Um, uh, so, you know, and so Harry also, you know, takes the Elder Wand, you know, of his master, Dumbledore, his, his headmaster, mm-hmm. and repairs his wand um, so that he can kind of go on, continue the fight. Um, so those things really struck me. Um, I also, I, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about this earlier, um, the way that, I mean, Harry and Ezra are both children you know, who sort of have to join in this fight, you know, um, Mm -hmm. orphaned children who have to join in this fight. And there's, but there's advantage in their smallness, you know, for Ezra, it's a physical advantage, you know, that allows him to sneak around in, in, in air ducts, yeah. you know.
0: Climb <laughs> so through air ducts every other episode, yeah. Climbing
1: in an air duct, are we doing this again? We're doing this again, yes, all right, go. Mm-hmm. Um, through the vent. And Who needs for... an invisibility cloak? Uh, well, right, yeah. exactly, well, and uh, Harry, but that's what, that's what I'm getting at. Harry has his yeah. invisibility cloak, which helps him to to also sneak around unseen, but but Harry's smallness is also kind of conceptual as well. You know, you, you just don't appreciate that this child is going to be able to make a stand against Voldemort, and yet he can. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is very much the same way with Ezra Bridger. And so I think there's so much, there's so much going on there um, yeah. in terms of very probably calculated similarity similarities in order to attract, you know, uh-huh. the same audiences that love yeah. both stories.
0: Yeah. To, to your point earlier, now Star Wars is being made. With the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of being able to look at the success of a franchise like the Harry Potter films, and you know the, the franchise that keep continues to evolve in its own ways as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to look back at. Other franchises, other wildly popular sci-fi fantasy stories that that have you know young protagonists um, of a similar age to the audience you're trying to pull in, you know that makes all the sense in the world.
1: Yeah, it it really does. They'd be fools not to, you know, to to draw yeah. these parallels. But but you know, I don't know if this is a cop out, Johnny, but because um, I really do want to write this up. Sometimes sometimes I'm like I can't get the energy for it because I I, I present this to Star Wars fans. And they're like, yeah, okay, but then you present it to Harry Potter fans, and they're like, Ezra who? You know, <laughs> so uh-huh.
0: like maybe the
1: maybe the you know his appearance in Ahsoka, maybe these films that are coming that or whatever yeah. film is coming that's going to wrap this up. Maybe this will help you know draw attention to him, but but also mm-hmm. it might not be safe to write until his arc is complete, you know, because it maybe because I Very suspect tree. it's gonna it's gonna end up to be something like what happens with Harry, but you know, I don't know, I don't know. Could go yeah, totally yeah. different direction, you know, all the space whales. Who knows? Yeah.
0: I've always been fascinated by his name, Ez- Ezra Bridger. Mm. You, know, he, mm-hmm. you know, he's there to bridge the gap between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy in terms of a bit of content, you know, yeah. that the, sits the in the middle. Um Ezra, I'm, I'm struggling with my Old Testament prophets. Um What, what, what was it? What was Ezra's... What's oh,
1: bag? I don't know if I'll be able to it's he's, he's one,
0: one of the later prophets of towards the end yeah of I mean the Old all Testament. the prophets
1: were were deeply concerned with social justice you know and, yeah. and the justice justice in the community and they were you know there to announce not a prediction of what would happen but but what would inevitably mm. happen if they did not snap back to God's will you know yeah. um I don't know you know in ahsoka I was more I was more um my my attention was on Enoch. Captain Enoch, Um I know. What, what a base. reference to
0: draw! It, I it, know, yeah.
1: right? Right. This child, kind of, like you know, um, born of exile, and and uh, mm. oh, and it was just so. Un- I think Amy Sturgis said it best. Just uncanny the way his his mm. uh, that a costume was designed i i know people yeah. who are already working on an Enoch. there's there's oh, no approved sure. costume for it yet but they're already working on on that yeah. Enoch mask which is like wow it just yeah
0: he 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 has sort of nascient uh boba fett popularity written all uh-huh. over him in the des- mm. in the design alone and you don't you don't you don't create that design and give him that name without a plan right i, I don't think there, right there, there's 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 more there yeah. i think i hope i hope I hope.
1: Indeed. But thank you for keeping the flame of my Ezra Harry paper alive <laughs> for me. I really do need to write that down. Now you really I, do. I got I um I applied to uh, DePaul University um in Chicago is hosting a popular culture conference this May the fourth, and they are focusing on Star Wars and um so I'm gonna be presenting on 2187 arthur lipset's ideas as seen through the lens of the mandalorian so so that's something that wasn't in my paper um for the book and so i'm i'm looking forward to to kind of extending that, 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 that. that
0: That has uh, revised edition slash paperback and written, written all over it. <laughs> good, right. good
1: idea. I'll, I actually yeah, pitched that to Vernon Press. Co-
0: paperback, paperback with bonus content. Oh, I like it, uh, I like it. I'd buy it, of oh. course I would. Um, <laughs>
1: Great. <laughs> I'll, I'll mention so, that as speak, well.
0: <laughs> speaking of the books and the essays, Katie, w- w- were there any other sort of, um, sort of Harry Potter slash Star Wars mashup topics that, that you might have picked that the sort of had, you had percolating but didn't choose?
2: Yeah. So I tell you what, and I'm not sure when I I I'm, I can't remember enough the timing to know when this occurred to me, but something I'm really interested in is I just love Andor. And I was fascinated by the inclusion of the act, some of the actors from the Harry Potter movies in Andor, and particularly thinking about how Petunia Dursley like, gets her chance at motherhood in a, a different way that allows her really to be heroic in, in the end in a way that, the, that Petunia didn't, right? This is Fiona Shaw, right? And I do mm-hmm. think that when you have an actor playing two roles, it invites the audience to think about how those two roles relate Mm. to each other and especially when you're talking about harry potter and star wars universes that already have some connections and so i just found it really interesting that you know here we have somebody who she's again is kind of adoptive parent but she's doing it really differently uh in Andor than she is doing than she is as petunia dursley and then we have this like amazing call for rebellion, <laughs> that mm-hmm. you know, Petunia Dursley, she doesn't ever get there. But we do get that um, you know, from from that adoptive mother figure in Andor. And, you know, also yeah. if you look, if you're looking at another mother figure, Cyril's mother, um mm-hmm. played by the same actress, what's her name? Edie Edie Carn, who plays um the Cyril's mother, but she played arabella fig in the harry potter movies and she is
0: i think i'd forgotten that
2: yeah she's very different characters you wouldn't mm. i mean you don't totally recognize her there's some little things where you but she's she looks really different yeah. very different character but also somebody who's on the margins and who is trying mm-hmm. to from a from a boundary like borderline position trying to you know to support one side or the other, and this time it's the other side, Mm. right? So you can kind of look at these two characters, you know, uh, you know, as they, as they relate to each other, just through the actor,
0: Um, there is another
2: cameo. and I don't know what I would do with this. This doesn't seem significant to me. I think those two choices seem significant. There's some sort of way to connect them in with the, with the characters and the symbolism and the story. But I guess the, the man who was the actor who played, james potter in the movies was the doctor on narkeena five so there's there's another harry potter actor and i don't exactly know what you would what you would make of that within the story i don't i don't necessarily automatically see a connection there but but i would be kind of interested to to play out the you know these mother figures and how they are you know playing like almost switcheroo roles uh in two different franchises
0: oh i love that i love that I, i'm now thinking of i'm trying to think of the, if there's anything betwixt narkina 5 and azkaban um mm-hmm. as, as prisons there might not be there might not be anything particularly worth going at but um
1: yeah that yeah that's interesting hmm
0: certainly something that, was, that um occurred to me um as i was watching i think we my wife and i rewatched the fantastic beasts movies at some point in the last six months um and just that, that that uh you know the slightly sort of fascistic overtones mm. of some of what some of what's going on there
1: right um, Oh, did you catch those big time oh yeah, yeah yeah um
2: yeah i also i did something about the mirrors in there too so lots of mirrors yeah.
0: Mm, yeah. It, 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 it it it's not quite uh, donald gleason giving it his best adolf uh the nuremberg rally but it it's kind of it, it's a, it's there's a similar they they're certainly channeling um, very, very similar vibes there uh, between the first order, the trappings of the first order, and, and, and some of what we're seeing um, uh, in, in the Fantastic Beast stuff. And I guess, as well, Fantastic Beasts kind of being a prequel tr- pre- series of prequel movies of a yeah. sort seems to be diving more into sort of the political realm. Um, Than sort of its predecessors, uh, it maybe it in a similar way to the, the, the way the Star Wars prequels did, I guess, which is which is interesting. And I, I, I don't know if that's just the case of the creators having established their platform, and now now I'm going to tell you a thing or two, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or... well, both
2: of, both those prequels are very historically oriented, and I think George Lucas and J.K. Rowling both are interested in history, and with lucas i think he's he's looking at the roman empire right uh the roman republic roman empire time mm, yeah. and that that is deeply informing the prequels and what he sees that went wrong in this universe and i think that for jk rowling it is the rise of fascism um yeah. worldwide it wasn't even just in europe uh in the 1930s particularly and that that is something she's in, she's interested in exploring as a precondition Of the later world that she developed, right? Mm Because it's a return to that. That's what's happening, right? Um, And I think, what as a historian, I'm uh, I'm very interested in the way that that these these people do use use historical references in a way that it's supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be learning from it, and you know, thinking about how how this translates into other other settings that we can maybe even identify with our own.
1: Well, right. And isn't that what coming of age is all about? You know, you, you, Mm -hmm. you take awareness of yourself in your circumstance, but you know, your lens continues to, to back up, you know, so that, you know, Uh you can take your steps into a larger world and you can really understand, you know, yourself more as in relation to this larger world. And so I think that it's natural for both of those franchises to, to move in that way, however confusing it is for some fans. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> but it does it deepens Indeed. the world building, yeah. And and I think oh, that yeah. that's that's something that's that's worth doing. And again, it, affor- it informs the original ones in a way mm-hmm. that I think is, is makes it makes you want to go back to them.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as I said before, I you know I'm long overdue my Potter reread, but the, the the bits of newer Potterverse stuff that I have consumed in more recent years only make me want to revisit it more. You know, uh, and, and to sort of re experience it in the light of the, the new stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. I, always, mm-hmm. I always tell this story, but my son just went on a binge with the Harry Potter novels. And then, you know, political things happening as they were. Uh, he was an early teenager at this point, And he said, I feel like we're living in book five of Harry Potter. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like that yeah. I can. And of course, my response was, "Dumbledore's army still recruiting, right?"
0: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs>
2: like, Did- you at least you can reckon you can recognize it.
0: D- dare I ask who Dolores Umbridge was in this uh, in this analogy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it was really mm. more who Voldemort was,
0: mm, and I'll just tell you
2: this was in okay. 2016. So,
0: <laughs> I got you. I got you.
1: Yeah, I got. You.
2: But yeah, but I mean, you know, we're we're living in in times that seem to call forth the dystopian yeah. uh, worlds that we have been in, inhabiting and fantasy or science fiction universes, and and they're very instructive. So, uh, right, we can we can take some good things from from what we're from what we're reading. I don't like this idea that you know we're just all noodling off on something that doesn't have any bearing on reality. I think they're actually these fantasy universes are so so important to the way we understand our world.
0: Absolutely, it's something that comes up here on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast all the time. Um, You know, we we did a round table in in recent weeks about one of the more recent uh, High Republic books, you know, which dropped in November, around November time. And it was impossible not to read some of that, some of what was going on in the early chapters of that book, without calling to mind stuff that was happening on the news every day in Gaza, for example, about in the book, there from, from the Republic are trapped behind certain lines and communications are done and people are fretting about loved ones and not what George Mann, the author had in mind when he sat down to start writing it probably a year prior. But, you know, there are there are universal themes in some of this stuff, that no matter how they get expressed they are going to touch something in in the real world Mm -hmm. you know you -hmm. can see the real world in these books and in the experiences Mm -hmm. of of the experiences of the characters reflect what's going on in the real world and vice versa um exactly it's all there's endless, uh, endless examples of, of that in the Star Wars canon, which is something yeah. I love, you know. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. If it's escapism, what we're escaping into is so often the truth, you know, um, yeah. it, mm. even if it's mm. a metaphorical yeah. truth, you know. So, so a lot of times I yeah. feel like escaping from this, you know. <sighs> late stage capitalist world that we live in. Katie knows that that's a, a phrase I like to throw in to make people nervous. Uh-huh. Um but but no, we we escape into this world, you know, where where, you know, um we do lose perspective on the truth. Um and yeah. and and we can escape into a world where where it's pretty clearly you know i mean it's not all black and white but but there mm-hmm. is a clear side of good and um and it may not be perfect you know um but it but it's a side that you can stand on and uh and yeah. that's that is yeah. refreshing and and that is a rehearsal for what you have to do in the real world um when these same yeah. forces try to uh, with different names you know i mean I 2016 i think there's a lot of people who were dolores Umbridge back then you know i mean there's yeah. a lot of that mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, but <laughs> and, both uh, these
2: you know it's escapism but the message that both harry potter and star wars have is you can do something yeah maybe you can't yeah. do a lot yeah. right maybe you're in rogue one which you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. it's not all going to be totally successful but uh but you know i guess they were ultimately successful but they're yeah. you know they a whole squadron
0: but, yeah. named if, after them you know but you could do something if you're lucky you get a hug on a beach at the end right. just before the <laughs>
1: It's a good <laughs> hug. That seemed like a good hug. Yeah.
0: <gasps> although I, I, I'm never not going to be haunted by the fact that Cassian opens his eyes for a split second just before the blast <laughs> hits.
1: I know, like, oh. <laughs> it's oh. such a,
0: a beautiful and horrifying detail.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. No, but, t- to your point, though, you know, and it's a quote that comes back time and time again from uh, the Bookmaster and Apprentice uh, by by the great Claudia Gray, um, and she puts these words into the mouth of Qui Gon. You know, it matters what side we choose. It matters, mm-hmm. you know. E- even if there will never be any more, even if there will never be more good than there is darkness, you know. Y- you know, I, he says, "I don't choose the light because it means someday I think I'm going to win some sort of cosmic game. I choose the light because it is the light," mm-hmm. you know. And that is kind of the message of Star Wars, you know, that it it doesn't matter that we might not win today. It matters that we choose the light, you know, um, even if we're doomed today. Yes. <laughs> which is, yeah. You know, which is which is to your point, Rogue One. It's you know, right. you know, the, right. the, the the, the, there are the battles that are still the right battles to fight so that other people can fight right to know? give
1: other people hope right and this is yeah. this is what the lesson yeah. of that claudia gray is going to be at that conference in uh in uh, at de paul in chicago on may 4th and and carmelo mm-hmm. estrus Estrich? Estrich. Yeah, Estrich. Um, He'll kill
0: me for getting it wrong. Sorry,
1: Carmelo. (laughs) Sorry. Um, And they're the two keynote speakers at that. uh Oh,
0: amazing. Yeah, I know. Uh, So I'm excited
1: to hopefully meet both of them.
0: Yeah. Well, we we, we love Carmelo here um, on the podcast. He's been on a few times and uh, we were fortunate enough to get to speak to Claudia. uh, a few months ago as well. Oh, cool. Um, so Claudia is wonderful. I I did, I did sp- spoke to her at Celebration last year as well <laughs> while I was sweating heavily in my cosplay. Um, but but she- <laughs>
1: Isn't that always how cosplay is? I'm, oh, man. it's not I, if I, you're I, Hutt Slayer Leia.
0: Oh, well, well, that's, that's true. I,
1: I mean, I, I have I, seen that. I, 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 could, I could
0: do a gender bent Hutt Slayer Leia, but I don't think anyone needs to see this. <laughs> you know
1: so much of this you mean
0: <laughs> yeah exactly oh, 46 year old bald irish male <laughs> player is no one's going to a con looking for that
1: no, you know what else looks very breezy is the uh the 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 uh, narkena five prison costume you know
0: that, that does look actually quite, yeah quite not sp- even sp- shoes yeah
1: they do yeah. have these interesting but- little the pads on the bottoms of their feet that keep them from actually mm. walking around barefoot. It just looks like they're barefoot. Oh, uh, you kinda, can kind of buy kinda. these little sticky things, keep protect
0: your, well, the bottoms of your feet. But de- Definitely a highlight of Celebration last year for me was seeing the, the one-way-out march up the concourse with all of the Narcina 5 guys and girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Amy Raquel's husband was part of that, apparently. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah I think that, that, that's a tradition that's probably a keeper along with the... Um, Oh, I'm blanking now on the ice cream maker guy. Will Ru oh, Hood. A Will Ru Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember Strikes Back with the carrying his um, his, his camp, weird uh, ice cream camp maker, Tono yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, I, I think that's probably going to do us for today's um, chat about, about Harry Potter and Star Wars. Um, before we go, I, I, I'd like to say a big thank you once again to our fantastic guests, Emily Strand and Kitty McDaniel. Why don't you two let the folks listening know where they can find you, Potterversity, the books, etc.? Emily.
1: Um, Well, you can find me online at emilystrand.com, and uh, information about my uh, various books is there. Um, Our two titles, uh, Star Wars and Star Trek uh, from Vernon Press, are available there at that publisher. And then, of course, Katie and I can be found at Potterversity, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Potterversity is there. Spe- spell just the way it sounds and our book potterversity essays exploring the world of harry potter is available from mcfarland for a very reasonable price of like 29.95 or something like that right Kay? yeah I, <laughs> it's nicely priced. I, I checked
0: that out earlier it, it, it's 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 a bit more uh, affordable than yes. the vernon press title you know, although saying that i do need to get my hands on a copy of the star trek uh mm, essays it's so good
2: it's also really good because
0: i'm I, mean, I love trek as well i'm sort of i've been rediscovering some trek that i've missed i'm just catching up with just caught up with Strange New Worlds, for example, um, which I've loved. Oh, yes. kind of it's such amazing comfort trek. Yes, you know, it's it a, is. It's like- It's like, it's like your dad's Trek, you know, except I'm the dad, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, And, you know, um, so um, John Jackson Miller also has a chapter in that book that's really a companion chapter to the one he wrote in in our Star Wars book about canon development um, in Star Trek. And it's very, especially comparatively with Star Wars, it's very interesting, you know, thing to compare. So, yeah,
0: definitely. So, something to look forward to. Uh, Katie, why don't you let the folks listening know where they can get a hold of you, if you don't mind them getting a hold of you?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, mostly through Potterversity and uh, through the Potterversity Facebook. We have Instagram. I think we're on whatever twitter is now i think you' yes, sure we're still there
0: yes X, we are is that what it is i think um, i think we established last time emily it was called 10. 10 that's right it is
1: 10. <laughs> it only likes the, the roman numeral that's not moved that. off of that number is still, right. still just a 10. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah um and uh also uh Potterversity is on muggle net and uh you can find us there uh i am not myself Super adept with uh, various social media, but I do I do
1: engage. Lucky uh, you! I know I'm <laughs> That's why her mental health is so much better than ours. Oh,
2: I don't know about that.
1: <laughs> oh,
2: <man. laughs> but um, but yeah, so always happy to engage and love to love to hear from people uh, about
1: Potterversity and
2: uh, and all all of the all of the fandom. So. Yes. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we're, we have a Gmail. It's yes, we do. Potterversitypodcast.gmail.com. So and Laurie yeah. Beckoff is our is our MuggleNet producer. Um, and uh, Laurie is a is it just a great, uh, great Potter mind uh, medievalist. And uh, and she's she's somebody who and I should also mention our technical director is Emma Nicholson in Australia. And she does just a fabulous job editing the show and um also occasionally appearing as a guest and Mm -hmm. uh she also has a chapter in the book
0: i yes i was was, i'm just part way through your latest episode with them uh yeah 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 we're international we
2: try yeah (laughs) yeah
0: and of course, and there's lots of great, there's a whole back catalogue of episodes there of Potterversity, mm-hmm. and indeed, some episodes going right back to when it was reading, reading writing, writing, rolling. rolling.
2: That's yeah. right.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and the, for, for, for listeners to this podcast in particular, there are some of the earlier episodes there where you do dive into... The Star Wars um, Connections,
2: yes. Star Wars
0: Connections, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, so folks do um, do crack on and uh, subscribe to Potterversity as well and, and uh, ransack that back catalogue for some juicy tidbits Absolutely. Um, uh, and of course you can find me on Instagram and threads as at journals of the wills that's journals with an s and wills with an H. and you can reach out to the whole podcast team on all the usual social media channels and there you're looking for at swbc podcast um, and this is just the first of three episodes we have for you this week you lucky things. Um, Canon Catch-Up will be back on Wednesday with Dan, Chris, and maybe myself, uh, talking about the one-shot comic, C-3PO, The Phantom Limb. Legends Library returns on Friday uh, with the second and final look at John Jackson Miller's Knight Errant comic series. And next week is another bumper week. Comics Roundup returns. Uh, We have a review of New High Republic book, Defy the Storm. We'll have another episode of Canon Ketchup and we'll actually have a very special episode that Morgan is putting together, marking International Women's Day. That's, count them, seven episodes in a fortnight, people. What a world. What a time to be a Star Wars book fan. Um, We'll all need a holiday (laughs) after that. Um, but, But all that remains for this episode is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Emily Strand. Bye. Thanks. May the force be with you. And it's goodbye from Katie McDaniel. Thanks. This was so much fun. Fantastic. And it's a goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, folks. May the force be with you. And we'll catch you next time on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast.